0: she's like wow this place is so rejuvenating and i told her i was like dude that's the magic of the national parks Mm -hmm. and nowhere is that more apparent than in the place that's named for it for a refuge zion national park
1: this is the exploring the national parks podcast with dirt in my shoes My name is Ash and I'm a former park ranger and the founder of Dirt in My Shoes. I think that the parks are best seen from the trail and I'm here to make national park trip planning easy.
0: And I'm John. I carry the kids on the trails, I tell stories and notice all the things that Ash doesn't care about much like rocks.
1: Join us as we show you around America's spectacular national parks.
0: We're sharing our favorite places, fun facts, adventures, and misadventures.
1: And we'll even throw in a little trip planning.
0: Let's start exploring.
1: So two really big exciting things today. Woo. Number one, this episode marks our first year first full year of podcasting
0: which is crazy i know it's hard to believe that we've been doing this that long
1: that went really fast it's a lot of work (laughs) (laughs) putting out a weekly podcast we learned that too but we love it i think it's one of the funnest things about dirt in my shoes for me now
0: yeah absolutely
1: so anyway happy one year birthday to exploring the national parks podcast Thank you to everyone who has been listening. We've just received massive support. We're so grateful. If you really want to celebrate our one-year birthday with us, we would love some more five-star reviews.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs)
1: Shameless plug. That would be awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As a Feliz Cumpleaños gift.
1: Yeah, just to tell us that you like it. Let us know what you like about it. And going forward, I mean, we are going to make some adjustments here in the next few months, so... If you want to speak into that, we would love to hear from you either on a review or through the podcast website. You can just fill out the form and let us know what you think. Dirtinmyshoes.com slash podcast. So that's exciting thing number one. Number two is I am sitting here podcasting and I am flying to Peru in like two hours.
0: (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) She's hoping that I'm really not long-winded today.
1: (laughs) I just we sat down and I was like, I can't believe we have to do this today because I am literally leaving for Peru here in in just a little bit.
0: Which is so exciting! Yeah. We're so pumped for you. Yeah,
1: so I'm leaving John behind. He is not invited on this one. It's a trip that I'm taking with my siblings. We're all adults now with money, so
0: you can do whatever you want as grown ups. <laughs>
1: My brothers speak Spanish, and we are going to go out. We're backpacking. And I'll already have posted about this on socials by the time this episode goes live. (laughs) So if you want to see details, just go to Instagram or Facebook at Dirt in My Shoes, and I'll have stuff there. But as of right now, the trip has not happened as of this recording day.
0: Yes. She's sitting anxiously in her chair thinking, What did I forget? What (laughs) did I
1: forget? I've been packing for like two days. Just
0: John, what to... did I forget? I give her an idea. No, I already got that. <laughs> of course I already got that. books.: it oh that.
1: But we're backpacking for six days through the Andes. We are going to Machu Picchu, but it's at the very end. And we're not backpacking to Machu Picchu. We're not doing the Inca Trail, anything like that. We're trying to get away from the crowds. Yes, which is <laughs> so, a very
0: typical ash thing.
1: Well, so there's a bigger ruin than Machu Picchu. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like Chocochierao or something like that. You have to backpack to it and it's much less visited. People just don't really go there. You have to walk a long way. <laughs> so so cool. We're really excited. That's where we're going. And then we'll just hit Machu Picchu at the end just by taking the train. So we'll cheat with that one, but we'll earn our mileage yes. uh, in the Andes. So anyway... That's the number two exciting thing. Um, Today is just a really good day, and we're really excited to share some Zion fun facts with you.
0: Yeah. Woo! This This is going to be a big day today. This Uh, is a
1: John episode. He has been just stewing over these fun facts for a while.
0: Oh my gosh. This one, I feel like I put more pressure on myself than I probably should, but because I'm from Utah... I feel like I should be extra well-versed yes. in the Zion National Park-ology. And well, so
1: it's a really popular national park. It gets huge visitation numbers. Yes. We lived just a few minutes from Zion for a while, so we're very familiar with the area. Yeah. But I'm excited to learn something new, because I'm sure I will. Yep. So let's dive in.
0: Okay. So fun fact number one. Fun fact number one is that the bottom rock layers at Bryce Canyon National Park are the top rock layers at Zion National Park. And the bottom rock layers at Zion National Park are the top rock layers at Grand Canyon National Park. So I'm
1: assuming that has to do with the Grand Staircase. Heck yeah, it does. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it does, the layers step down. Bryce is further north than Zion. Mm Mm-hmm. And Grand Canyon is further south. So that makes sense. Zion's kind of right there in the middle. Oh, it's
0: perfectly in the middle. Like, I didn't realize how perfectly it was in the middle until I was kind of studying and trying to figure out all the layers between all three different national parks. But yeah, it's incredible. The top and bottom layers are the layers of the other national parks, which is so cool. And I am excited to talk about the Grand Staircase because we've talked about it in two other national parks in Grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon. But Zion is kind of like the heart of the whole thing. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And if you don't know what the Grand Staircase is, then we're going to cover it so that you kind of understand it a little bit better and why it's so cool. So what is the Grand Staircase? The Park Service says that the Grand Staircase is an immense sequence of sedimentary rock layers that stretch for 100 miles from Bryce Canyon National Park through Zion and through the Grand Canyon. Nice. Pretty yeah. technical and wordy. I
1: but- always thought the grand staircase was like a real staircase. Mm-hmm. I was kind of disappointed when <laughs> it wasn't. But it's huge. It's right. a huge area.
0: Like you were hoping it was like the Parthenon where you could walk up the steps to it or something like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, well, like just that it would look more like a staircase if I saw it. Right. I guess. But if you know what you're looking at, it's actually cooler than that.
0: Right. Well, like I said, well, so that's what the Park Service says, and while it's technically true. I feel like in order to fully appreciate the Grand Staircase, you're going to need this.
1: Okay. All these people are like, we can't see.
0: <laughs> Tell them what this is. It's our
1: son's... Uh, uh...
0: Dino Morpher. Yeah.
1: Yes. Our son's Dino Morpher from Power Rangers.
0: Exactly. So you're going to need that. Did you have a favorite Power Ranger growing the, up?
1: Yeah, the, the pink one for sure. Yes.
0: She was the one Kimberly that I helped. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I always had a crush on her. Yeah, she's I'm... my
1: favorite. I even had a little figurine that my grandma gave me for Christmas. Did you really? Mm-hmm. And yes. my sister got the yellow one.
0: Oh, the best. I know. Those were the best. I always had a crush on Kimberly, so I'm glad that you <laughs> kind of want to be her. I'm going <laughs> to well, be Tommy. I don't want to be her. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Everybody wants to be Kimberly. I'm going to be Tommy who was the green ranger and then turned into the white ranger. But in order for this to work, you have to do the jingle and the tagline. Do you know the jingle and the tagline? Yes. And then what do you say when the bad guys appear?
1: Mighty Morphin Power Rangers.
0: (laughs) It's Morphin time. (laughs) You were so close. I was
1: so close.
0: (laughs) You were so close. Wow, that
1: was a blast from the past.
0: Yes. Or for the dino one, it's connect to Morphin Grid. That yeah, our son too. would, I have yeah. to say that one, otherwise I'll get in <laughs> trouble. Now that we've morphed, we're Power Rangers. Luckily, Rita and Lord Zed, Emperor of Evil, have taken the day off. And there's no Sporix around, so this is just kind of a, this is a scenic walk as a Power Ranger. We're going to skip a few steps here, and I'm just going to go ahead and activate Megazord Battle Mode. <laughs>
1: Face when he did that. Oh my gosh, what a nerd.
0: (laughs) Oh, cue the electric. That was a
1: terrible laugh, too. Wow, that was a full snort. Sorry, people.
0: Cue the electric guitars. All the zords come out of their hiding places in different places and rush together. And now they're coming together as one giant zord ready to defeat evil. But just so you know, Ash, regardless of the challenge or the bad guy, as long as we work as a team, we can defeat anything. All right. Okay. Just want you to be aware of that. All right. Okay. Now we're sitting super high in our Megazord. Okay. We're Power Rangers. We morphed. We got our Zords. We're sitting really high in our Megazord, looking out all around us. And we just happen to be in the heart of Zion National Park. And now this is super cool. But as you look around you, you'll notice that the world isn't flat at all. If you look north, you'll see what look like steps going up. And if you look south, you'll see steps that go down. And so one's to the Bryce Canyon that goes up, and the other one is the Grand Canyon that goes south. So back to the question, what is the Grand Staircase? And while it's technically true that the Grand Staircase is an immense sequence of sedimentary rock layers, what the Grand Staircase really is, is a giant time machine. Not a time machine, kind of like the one that Tony Stark made in the Avengers, or uh, Harry Potter with the Time-Turner, or even the wicked cool DeLorean from Back to the Future. No, this is a time machine that's more like an excavator. The world here has been completely scooped out and scraped clean in a way that reveals each layer of Earth individually and over a huge area, so that scientists and visitors alike can study and appreciate them in perfect sequence without that much work. You kind of think about it kind of like a Big Mac, you know, how it's got all the different layers, but you're a scientist or someone that's just wanting to observe the Big Mac and you kind of want to know what each layer is and kind of study each one. If you're just looking at it flat, you can only see the edges. And so what the grand staircase is, it's kind of like how when you go to Subway and you tell them what vegetables you want or the different meats and cheeses, what's your go to six inch sub?
1: I'm pretty boring at Subway. I usually get roast beef. If I'm feeling like I want to splurge. I
0: thought you were a Black Forest ham That's girl. when
1: I'm like on a budget. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the cheapest sandwich they have. So right. that's usually what I get. But if I want to splurge, it's roast beef.
0: Right. And this was not sponsored by Subway, but I just wanted to bring it up. When you ask them to put something on there, they kind of lay it almost like off center a little bit every time kind of like dominoes when they fall down they're on each other but not really and so the grand staircase is set up kind of like that with each layer sort of on top of the the previous one but not really it's offset just enough so that you can really appreciate each layer on its own that's kind of what we're looking at here in the grand staircase and you have the oldest layers on bottom and you have the newest layers on top why is this cool Well, normally, time travel is pretty hard. And you may have forgotten that we are in our Megazords, and we are Power Rangers right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk north, we're going to step up, go up the steps, and then we're going to rush south. And we're going to go, and it's going to be really cool, and we're going to basically be time traveling. And so, boom, we're taking a step north. Boom. And with each step, we're going north back into the future by like 20 to 30 million years. Boom. And every step is basically a different color, which makes it really cool because you can tell the different layers apart. And now that we're up at the top, boom, at Bryce Canyon, we're at 9,000 feet above sea level. And as you look out, you can see a huge landscape and you can see tons of different layers and it's really cool. And now we're going to do the run. We're going to sprint in our Megazord down towards the Grand Canyon. Boom, boom, boom. And we just passed 50 million years. Boom, boom, 100 million years. We just passed Zion. Boom, boom. And now the Megazord, we've reached the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. Suddenly, we just ran through like 270 million years. You can look back and see our steps are like miles long. And now that we're at the North Rim, you realize it's too steep to take steps. So we might as well jump into the Colorado River.
1: Ah, doesn't that ruin our Megazord? No. I don't think a Megazord could withstand the Grand Canyon (laughs) depths.
0: (laughs) I don't know. I'm pretty sure Megazord has taken a beating many a time.
1: So what layer is Zion then?
0: Zion is the White Cliffs. Okay. And so as you're walking down, as our Megazord was walking down, you notice we're going from like the Pink Cliffs and the Grey Cliffs.
1: The Pink Cliffs is Bryce Canyon. Yep. And from Bryce Canyon, you can see a lot of these other cliffs too. Yeah. Which is cool.
0: It's really cool. So
1: yeah, you've got the pink cliffs, then what? The gray cliffs?
0: Pink cliffs, gray cliffs, and then you hit the white cliffs. And that's really where Zion sits, on the white cliffs. That's where it And then what?
1: The vermilion?
0: Yeah. So then you've got the vermilion cliffs. Actually, so it's white cliffs, vermilion cliffs, chocolate cliffs. And so each one of those layers is like 20 to 30 or even 50 million years different in their age.
1: But it really is crazy because you can see the layers as you travel through this area of Utah. Yeah. They're big layers, but like you can see them. Yeah. So it's crazy when you know what you're looking at. And if you know that as you're driving through this area of Utah, Mm -hmm. it's just really cool. And down into Arizona.
0: Yeah. It's pretty epic. But like we said, when you get to the Grand Canyon, you can look back and see, now that we're in our Megazord, you can look back and see all these different colors, all these different steps that we took. And then you turn around and you look into the Grand Canyon and you realize, okay, I've covered 270 million years so far. And as I jump, Megazord cannonball attack, as we jump into the Grand Canyon, suddenly as we're falling, we're covering hundreds of million years every second. And then finally, when we get to the bottom we're like 1.8 billion years old with the Vishnu basement rocks. And so this grand staircase is incredible. You cover such an immense period of time. And because it's so dry here, generally speaking, you can see the color of all the layers. Mm -hmm. If it was wetter, it'd be covered in all types of plant life and foliage and you wouldn't be able to see. But because it's dry enough here, you can see each different distinct layer. And as you're going through it, It's just so cool. It's just like the Big Mac. Each layer has its own ingredients. Each layer was cooked different. It has its, well, hopefully not a real Big Mac has different age, but (laughs) (laughs) you don't want the different ingredients having different ages, but each ingredient is different. And Zion is like the heart of the whole thing. And so that brings us back to the fun fact number one, where Zion, the top layer and the bottom layer, you can see those in other national parks. And it's just Really cool to kind of put Zion in the context of the larger Grand Staircase because this entire area is special. But the Zion itself, specifically, is probably the most stylish of all three of them.
1: <laughs> well, here's the thing as you're talking about this, I thought a lot of times when you think of Zion, you're thinking Red Rock. Right. And it is everywhere. I mean, you will see Red Rock. But if you look, Closer, and if you look at those higher elevation hikes, they are white, right? So, you've got the White Throne, which you can see really well from Zion Canyon, you've got Checkerboard Mesa off the east side. I mean, those are all white rocks, yeah. That's that white layer,
0: yeah. It's so cool, you're exactly right. I think you, when you get into Zion, you're surprised by the different colors that you see. But
1: I don't know if you would notice it though. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think when you go there, you're thinking red rock. Uh Uh-huh. And so that's what you see. I mean, it took me a few times to like really for my brain to like compute that not all of the rock there was red.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: (laughs) You just, you kind of overlook the white. I don't know if that makes (laughs) sense, but like you don't think of Zion as being white
0: rocks. No. Nobody
1: thinks of that. No. There's a ton.
0: Yeah, And we're going to talk a little bit about that white rock and why it's so special. But I'm going to need your Morpher back.
1: That's fine. So thank you.
0: I borrowed this You already
1: ruined our Megazord. So.
0: (laughs) Whatever. It was fine. We've got the context of the Grand Staircase. We've talked a lot about layers and Zion has great layers. It's got red, white, it's got gold and kind of all the shades in between. But the bottom layers here at Zion are often a bit challenging to see. But the bottom layer here is called the Kaibab Formation. And this is the layer that you can see at the Grand Canyon. But where do you think this was formed, Ash?
1: Uh, Under a shallow sea.
0: <laughs> yep, under a shallow sea. It's my favorite question to ask her because it's almost always the same. That's right. Okay, this layer, this bottom layer was formed over 250 million years ago under a shallow sea. Now, what is pretty neat about Zion's story is that starting at the bottom here at the Kaibab layer... Each successive layer building up is actually pulling Zion up and out of the ocean. And so Zion literally grew up out of the ocean, kind of like Atlantis rising from the sea. And as time went on, the shallow sea got shallower. Then the area became more of like an intertidal zone. And then a muddy shoreline, and then a beach, and then the beach moved further out, and then the area was crisscrossed by rivers, and then finally the area became a vast desert. But not just any desert and not the desert that is there today. But we'll talk about that in a second. So one of the reasons why I think this is kind of neat is as you're looking from the bottom to the top, you're like I said, you're literally watching it rise out of the sea. It's kind of like that scene from the original Avengers where Captain America and the Hulk, they're standing on the deck of this aircraft carrier with Black Widow. And all of a sudden, like some alarms start to go off and everything like that. And Captain America is like, is this thing a submarine? What's going on here? And then all of a sudden, they look over the edge of the ocean. They can see, like, the ocean churning. And, like, suddenly the whole thing just starts to rise a little bit. That's exactly what's happening here in Zion. As you look from the bottom of the canyon, as you look up, you have chocolate cliffs, red cliffs, pink cliffs, white cliffs. As you're watching it go up, it's like watching that carrier raise itself up out of the ocean. And it's that dramatic, too. It's super cool. And it's really fun. But the Zion, I mean, it's an unstoppable force rising from the ocean, but it just took way longer than, you know, that one. Than in the movie. Than in the movie. <laughs> and so at the bottom, you'll be looking the really deep red. They call those the chocolate cliffs. And then as you go up a little bit higher, you know, you're moving into the vermilion cliffs, another kind of red. But you can kind of see a little that it gets a little bit more cliffy kind of at the bottom of the canyon. There's a lot more rocks and things that have kind of fallen and covered things up. It's not until you get up to the Navajo sandstone that you're really seeing really epic sheer cliffs. And those ones are the most beautiful, I think. Those are the show-stopping cliffs in Zion National Park. And those ones are 150 million years old. And those ones are the ones they call the White Cliffs, the Navajo sandstone. And this is fun fact number two. The Navajo sandstone is the result of the largest known sand desert in the history of our planet.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Yeah. So it's stretching at huge distances, north, south, east, and west from here. I mean, this is a claim the National Park Service makes. It's not just one of my outrageous claims. Some of these cliff faces are like 2,000 feet tall, these, this Navajo sandstone. And so That is the result of the biggest sand desert on the planet ever. And I just think that's super cool.
1: That is really cool.
0: Yeah. And the way that you can kind of tell that they were made from sand dunes is it's a visual thing that you can actually observe as you're looking at these layers. It's called cross bedding. And so as you're looking at some of these layers, you'll see a lot of them, especially in this Navajo sandstone, they've kind of got diagonal lines. Some of them are going left to right, from top to bottom. Some of them are going right to left, from top to bottom.
1: It almost looks like you've taken, like, a razor blade, like, when you're doing crafts. I'm not a crafty person. (laughs) Or, like, a rotary cutter. Uh So, (laughs) (laughs) I used to sew. But it's almost as if you're, like, slicing a razor blade through the sandstone. Yeah. To get that cross-cutting. Like, when you look at it, like... Like checkerboard mesa is the best example that's named um, right. that people know mm-hmm. in this park. But like, you look at it, and I'm not talking about like a razor that you like shave your legs with, but like the razor blade that you use to cut. Right. It just looks like someone went and just went. Uh
0: huh.
1: Down the rocks.
0: Yes. It's exactly. Cool. Not vertical or sideways, but no, check- it's
1: all diagonal. It's all
0: diagonal, and
1: it goes both directions. Yep. Like you said. And that's why it's called Checkerboard Mesa, though, is because the lines intersect and and it makes it look not like a regular checkerboard. Wow! So
0: Checkerboard Mesa has two different kind of erosion things. It has the cross bedding on it, but it also has like some more recent erosion lines. But you're right; they do all kind of cross connect and everything like that. And so it's really interesting. But basically, the reason you can tell that these are sand dunes is because sand dunes today do the same thing. And you can tell which way the wind was actually blowing millions and millions of years ago when they were formed, because the lines go from top to bottom. If the line on the left is higher than where it ends on the right, that means that the wind was blowing from left to right. Mm -hmm. And so you can tell you're literally seeing 150 million year old wind in the rock. And that's so cool. It is. That's really awesome. Oh my gosh. But what's amazing, this whole, like some of these areas where it's 2000 feet, where it's this Navajo sandstone, what's amazing is it's not just one uniform color like a lot of other layers are. And that's one of the reasons why the Navajo sandstone layer is so absolutely beautiful and breathtaking and special is because it kind of has a mosaic of colors. At the very top, you'll have kind of a white and then you know you might have blotches here of oranges and yellows. And then as it goes further down, that's when it gets more towards the deeper red rock that everybody's kind of expecting. But the Navajo sandstone can have a myriad of different colors. Mm-hmm. And so it's really cool. But the reason for that is because the chemical properties in the rock can vary. And it all depends on how much iron is there. But basically what happened a long time ago is that there was some groundwater or some type of liquid that basically seeped into the top layer of the Navajo sandstone and basically bleached it. You can kind of see that at Lake Powell kind of happening right now mm-hmm. in a lot of places where the lake has basically kind of pulled some of the color out of the sandstone. Mm-hmm. You, so you can see it actively there. But here at Zion, it's really cool. That's why they call it the White Cliffs is because, I mean, it originally it wasn't white But through chemical processes over millions and millions of years, the top layer got changed. And as it kind of drifts down into the lower part of the sandstone, then you get lots of different colors.
1: So cool. I love the colors of Zion. It's awesome.
0: So we've talked about how beautiful it is and kind of where some of the colors come from. But where did that canyon actually come from? Because so far we've covered Zion's place in the Grand Staircase and the complexity of some of the layers and the colors and stuff like that. At this point, if we went back 150 million years, I mean, we're still a traditional place with layer upon layer, kind of like a regular Big Mac. So what happened that caused this canyon to finally come into being? You know? I
1: don't know, John. What happened? I
0: don't, I don't. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm supposed to have the answer <laughs> yeah. to
1: that. You don't get to say <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yes. Okay. So what's interesting is a lot of this stuff didn't happen very long ago. So these layers were created way long ago. But the actions and the forces that actually created the canyon is relatively recent.
1: So when you say canyon, are you talking about the actual Zion Canyon area?
0: The actual Zion Canyon area. Okay,
1: so this is a section of the park. It's the busiest section. It's where you have to take the shuttle. It's where uh, most of the just most popular trails are. Right. So this is where you'll find Angels Landing, the trail to that, and the Narrows, and all of that. Emerald pools and... The old observation trail right observation point trail hike and anyway, all of that where the lodges all of that is part of Zion Canyon right, so I just wanted to let people know in case they haven't been there
0: because <laughs> right you're exactly right what we've basically been talking about here with all this grand staircase is a much larger area than just Zion, and so Zion's place in that is really important but Now we're kind of focusing in on specifically, how did Zion get made? Because we were just a whole bunch of flat layers at one point.
1: And the area around Zion is really pretty. But when you get to Zion, it's just blow your mind. Yeah. Beautiful. So, And it's in a relatively small area that it looks like that. Yes. In the greater scheme of Southern Utah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So yeah, those cliffs and those monoliths are so impressive in Zion National Park.
0: It's true. Okay, so we're going to fast forward in time from the Navajo sandstone, 150 million years to about 20 to 30 million years from now, back in the past. And so what started to happen in the area is you start to have some of these faults kind of around the Colorado Plateau that start to develop cracks in these layers. And there's different continental pressures building up. And so 20 to 30 million years ago is when it started all this cracking and the whole land started to rise a little bit. And then 13 million years ago, the lifting continued, but some of the movement along some of these faults actually caused the land to tilt, which is kind of why if you look at a, some type of a, a panel that show you all these different layers, or if you are in your Megazord and you're looking at all these layers, you're kind of seeing how it's not a perfect staircase. It's like a tilted staircase. But what happened there is n- now that the land is, is rising and it's been tilting. And it's still actually rising today. And at one point, portions of the area were well over 10,000 feet above sea level. But the added tilt just made the land really steep. And so as the dry places around Zion were starting to get rain, because it's so dry, and there's not a whole lot of like plant life and really thick forests and grasslands and things that kind of hold all the sand together and the soil in place. As the land got higher and tilted, the rain came and literally just scooped mm-hmm. all of this land out.
1: It just washed all those sediments away.
0: Oh, so much of it. Just thousands and thousands of feet of it. It's kind Side
1: of- note, that's why it's important to stay on the trail, especially in these areas, because I mean, erosion is so prevalent. That's what right. the land is, is yeah. just basically a big thing of erosion. Yes. And so if you cut trail or if you go off, you're moving around sediment that doesn't stay in place very easily in the first place because there's just not a lot of vegetation. There's not anything holding that all together. Right. So, that's a side note.
0: Yes. <laughs> but well, it's
1: a big deal in this area because things move so quickly just based on the wind and the weather and the water. And
0: You're exactly right. It actually kind of reminds me of a scene from Ocean's Eleven. I love that movie. But there's a scene where Ruben Tishkoff is describing to Brad Pitt and George Clooney. They just told him that they wanted to rob a casino. And he's like, you kidding? You want to rob a casino? Let me tell you a story of the three most successful robberies of casinos in Vegas's history. And so he basically tells the story of three guys who pretty much just grabbed as much money as they could and then just made a run for it, you know? <laughs> so, well, it's kind of like what water and wind does here in the desert it pretty much just grabs as much as it can and then just books it
1: runs with it It just runs with it except
0: in this case it's unlike the movie where those three guys basically just got hammered by casino security here erosional forces like water and wind are brad pitt and george clooney And they literally just make off with millions and millions of dollars or tens of, or thousands and thousands of feet of layers of sediment here in the area. And so it's really interesting. So you do have to be careful about staying on trail, but this erosion is what caused the whole area to be so dramatic. And it's so cool. Basically what we've got here is we've got an area that's already susceptible to erosion and then you just add a giant tilt and a steep decline to it. And so then it's just like in fast forward. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's like that scene of Lord of the Rings where Gandalf just runs down the hill to help with the battle at Helm's Deep. There it is. I got it. And so it's just going so fast. And a few million years ago, that's when we have the hero of Zion that actually shows up. The Virgin River. And as it rushed down the hill, cutting into the mountain as it went, it was rushing and smashing and digging and digging deeper and deeper into the earth. What's crazy is that you show up to Zion and most of the time you look at the Virgin River and you're like,
1: meh. It's a pretty small
0: river. It's not very big. It's nothing special. But then you come from somewhere back east, somewhere in the northwest, and you're comparing it to the Mississippi and the Missouri or the Columbia River or something like that. And you're like, "Eh, it's not that great. Yeah. (laughs) I'll do my best Gimli and they call it a mine, (laughs) a mine, you know? So you look at the Virgin river now, and if you see it on a regular day, you're like, it's nothing special, but that thing is the hero of Zion Canyon. And it's amazing. It literally cut through all of this sediment, like a knife through a block of cheese. Mm -hmm. It went so fast in geological standards, of course. And If we didn't have this river, we wouldn't have this incredibly tight canyon. And so most of Zion Canyon was carved out over the last few million years and completely pretty much by the Virgin River. Now, let me kind of explain how fast this happened in river and geologic terms. Over the last one million years, the Virgin River has carved out 13,000 feet of sediment, doubling the depth of Zion Canyon and creating the Narrows. And this is fun fact number three. In the park, the river drops an average of 71 feet every mile. And in comparison to the Mississippi River, which drops only one inch every mile.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) That's cool.
0: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So it literally is Gandalf running down the mountain.
1: I guess you don't think about that. When you're there, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it's sloped or slanted.
0: Yeah. To us hiking up the river or something like that or driving up the canyon, it doesn't seem that fast. But in terms of geology and comparison to other rivers, this thing is at a sprint digging down into these rocks.
1: That's awesome.
0: And a lot of geologists imagine that could actually dig deep fast enough that it can no longer actually Dump water into the Colorado River.
1: Crazy, because it'd be like lower
0: yeah, than exactly. the Colorado River. Yes. And so it would have to like, it would then make like its own lake and yeah. then, you know, and it would continue water. on.
1: Interesting. Yeah. That's cool. You, so you said 71 feet per mile for that one. Yes. And one inch per mile for the Mississippi. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Crazy difference. And so that's why I call it, it's the hero of Zion Canyon because otherwise, The area would probably just be like a valley with a river in it. Right. It wouldn't be nearly as dramatic, nearly as spectacular. It would just be like any regular river going through any regular place. But this is incredible. It is digging so fast, so deep, like a knife into cheese.
1: Well, if you want to see this in real life, then you should hike the Narrows.
0: Yes. That's my announcement
1: to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Go get up into the Narrows. Get up into Wall Street, too, because Wall Street is just so incredibly impressive with the steep cliffs as you're going through the river through there. Right. It's so cool. And now you have an extra fact that will make it even better while you do the Narrows.
0: Yes, exactly. But like I said, sometimes you look at the Virgin River and you're like, meh. It's okay.
1: Well, yeah, and it it really does look small most of the time.
0: Well, that's the thing, though. That's why it's so deceiving, too. Because in a lot of ways, it's kind of like Jack from The Incredibles. It's this really cute little baby, and Mr. Incredible is sitting on the couch. He's putting the baby to sleep. He falls asleep on the couch while the baby keeps watching TV. And then all of a sudden, a raccoon shows up at the back door. (laughs) This is one of our kids' favorite scenes from the incredibles too and jack ends up having this fight with this raccoon he goes from this really cute little baby to bursting into flames and throwing aside all of the lawn chairs and then he's shooting lasers out of his face and all this crazy stuff the virgin river is just like that you have this really docile cute little thing and all of a sudden it changes into this monster And that's when the river does most of its hard work. We call the in in real life we call these flash floods, where you get rain coming down, it doesn't have anywhere else to go in this dry environment, and so all just channels into these slot canyons like the Narrows, and then all of a sudden you just you have the water pressure and the water levels literally getting multiplied by one hundred, and then just shot like a pressure washer down through this canyon. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it's doing all of this hard work. It just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the river just absolutely goes crazy.
1: Yeah. It's deadly when it does that
0: too. Yes. So. It's so deadly. Because and so you got to be really careful. Is moving,
1: the water is moving so quickly. And it is like when the water recedes after a flash flood, I mean, that water moves boulders, it moves trees, and the landscape actually looks in a lot of cases, quite different Yeah. after a flash flood because now there's all these new obstructions and things that the water has moved down into the area that weren't there before.
0: Yeah. There's always problems within Zion National Park where the Park Service has to close things down because if there was some flooding or the, maybe the, the river undercut the road or the river switched directions a little bit, there's always things this river is in charge in this canyon and it is constantly reminding us now and as it was carving everything out it's reminding us of what real power looks like and who's in charge in this canyon and so the virgin river gave us this canyon. it's kind of like when your parents like when you were a kid tell you i made you i can take you out and make another one that looks just like you anyways that, that that is a Kind of like what the Virgin River is telling everyone here in this canyon when it has one of those flash floods. I'm still in charge. Yeah. I mean, it's it's
1: still that erosion takes place on a daily basis.
0: Yes. We've kind of been talking about how the Virgin River is kind of a destructive and creative force. So it's creative in that it it carved out this beautiful place for us to, to come and visit and see, but it's destructive. And so you have to be careful around it. But not only does it have those powers, but it's also a life-giving force in the area too. You got the deserts of the Southwest, and they're some of the most challenging places for plant and animal life to live, for humans to live too. A lot of them have special adaptations to help them deal with the excruciating heat and the general absence of water. Some creatures, even like the kangaroo rat, never actually have to take a drink of water because they get almost all of the water... That their bodies need from the food that they eat some creatures only come out at night some creatures have big ears to help their bodies get rid of excess heat but the word zion is actually a hebrew word that means refuge it is it's a refuge for life too because if you compare zion to the landscape around it it absolutely is a refuge it's an island of life inside what seems like an empty wasteland the fact that the virgin river runs year round allows Zion to support plant and animal populations that otherwise would be impossible. There is enough water here to support large animals like bighorn sheep, mule deer, bobcat, and mountain lions, and water-loving plants and animals like the cottonwood tree and the beaver. Mm -hmm. All in all, Zion is home to over 68 species of mammals, 291 species of birds, 37 species of reptiles and amphibians and eight species of fish. And so it's kind of crazy that there is that much life. Utah is the second driest state in the nation Mm -hmm. and there's not that much water. And so the fact that the Virgin River comes through here consistently, it just allows this place to support so much more life than a lot of other places throughout the Southwest and especially in this area. If I was to choose something in the park that really embodies the spirit of kind of this refuge of life, I would have to choose hanging gardens. Mm -hmm. So, Ash, could you describe what a hanging garden is?
1: Yeah, it's something you'll find in the desert. You can find them other places too. But in the desert, it's really cool because the water basically moves through the rock for a long, long time, (laughs) Uh and then it comes out through a crack somewhere. So if it rains or something, then the water seeps into the sandstone and it will move through it, and then if there's a crack in the sandstone down lower, I mean, in some cases it can be hundreds of feet or thousands of feet, honestly, right? but it comes down through the rock and then there's like a big crack, and then the water will come out through that crack in such a excess yeah i guess that there's plants that grow right in that crack that should just not i mean they're growing on the rock or on the cliff Mm -hmm. because that's where the water is coming out of the sandstone right i mean that's what happens in zion at least if you go to weeping rock that's a beautiful hanging garden that you can see yep and there's tons of water coming out right there yes and where is it coming from it's crazy
0: yeah exactly Some of these different rock layers let water better through than others. And so sometimes that's the reason for one of these little seep springs is what they call them. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's exactly like what you said. Sometimes there's a crack somewhere way back in the rock that we have no idea. We can't trace it. We just know that the water somehow comes out. And around this little tiny bit of water, sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little, you have this little island of life.
1: You get like ferns and flowers and (laughs) all sorts of stuff that should not be in the desert, really.
0: Exactly. You hit exactly. That leads us straight into fun fact number four is that because of the miraculous appearance of water, basically, it allows what normally are super thirsty plants to exist here. Fun fact number four is that Zion is home to 20 species of ferns.
1: Which they're really, yeah, I mean, there just should not be ferns in this area.
0: Exactly. There's
1: not enough water everywhere else. No,
0: it's awesome. (laughs) Granted, some of these ferns have like special adaptations to be in the desert. But the fact is, they're a family of plants that are way more at home in like the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And the fact that Zion, you go into Zion and you find this little island of life and in this little area where there's some water. I mean, it's truly a refuge. It's a little oasis uh-huh. and it's awesome. And I really think it stands up to its name pretty darn well.
1: Yeah. Go to Weeping Rock to see the Hanging Garden. It's yeah, cool. It, it is really, really cool. cool.
0: Ah, So that takes us to fun fact number five. We're going to jump right into the human history because guess who else discovered this place is a refuge? Everybody discovered it. You've got all these plants and animals that absolutely need it. And then people came here and... They stuck around because it is life-giving. It truly is a refuge. Now, in a lot of other episodes, we've talked about how these national parks have never really been peopleless. When we visit a national park, we see them that way now because that's kind of how the park service runs things. There's not really anybody living in these national parks. But the fact could never really be farther from the truth. Because these places, especially in life-giving places like Zion, of course there were people here. There is water, there's food, there's decent soil and a long growing season. And so, of course, there were people here. In a lot of ways, the busyness of Zion makes it kind of hard to imagine a people Zion.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Zion is not one of those parks where you're like, oh, it's so quiet and peaceful <laughs> here.
0: <laughs> exactly. Which is an upside, I guess, to the busyness that we could... You can that imagine not...
1: how it's always been.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. There's we're...
1: always been people everywhere.
0: Yes, we're not perpetuating... A fallacy of peoplelessness here in Zion. (laughs) No. But, like I said, people have been here, like in other parks, for more than 12,000 years. And honestly, I think the number probably goes way further back than even that. Some of the discoveries that we've talked about even on this podcast regarding some of the discoveries in white sands Mm -hmm. and other places, people have been here forever. But the earliest evidence of the people that have been here are the great hunters, the people that followed the big game animals, even bigger than we have now, the mammoths, the camels, the giant sloths all over this country. As those animals kind of died out by about 5,000 years ago, people in this area in Zion were taking full advantage of the resources and the long growing seasons. Native Americans from the archaic Indian tribes to the ancestral Puebloan people, which you find a lot of their artifacts and things here in the Southwest all the way to like the modern day Paiute. So many of them created irrigation systems from the river and cultivated crops. They built homes, they had granaries, rock art, and more. And this was home to these people. And many still think of it as a sacred place. And in fact, the NPS within Zion currently takes care of more than 500 archaeological sites. There's tons of evidence. I didn't know that,
1: there's that many.
0: Yeah, tons of them. A lot of them, they don't actually excavate anymore hmm. because they want to protect them. Mm-hmm. And so they just kind of leave them as is. They monitor the site to see if there's any changes. They only excavate it if they need to. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be the official fun fact number five, though it kind of boggles my mind because in my American brain sometimes just can't handle this information but Ash, what happened in 1776 that could have related to Zion National Park? Ew. Stumped you? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, now this is this is why my, my American brain sinks 1776 and only can think of the American Revolution, right? But fun fact number five is that in 1776, two Franciscan friars... Antanasio Dominguez and Silvestre Velez de Escalante set off on an expedition from Santa Fe to find a route to California. And
1: I wasn't even thinking Mexico or <laughs> anything. I was like, nobody lived out here. <laughs> because exactly. I was thinking about baby America. That's so funny.
0: Right? Oh my gosh.
1: Dominguez and Escalante.
0: Dominguez and Escalante. And though they failed in their attempt to reach the missions in California, they did map a huge section of the Four Corners area and crossed the Virgin River just 30 miles south of Zion National Park. Mm. And so they probably weren't the first Euro-Americans to come and explore the area because there were lots of undocumented explorers that came through here. But they were the first people to really try to map and to plot a trail through this area. And they were the first ones that kind of stopped through here. And they met a lot of the native peoples, the Paiutes, that they had irrigation systems and they were farming the area. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the chapter kind of changes or the story kind of takes a turn from the native peoples that have been here for thousands of years to the Euro-Americans, explorers, and the settlers. But I just always think it's so funny because you're exactly right. I forget. The Spanish have been here for forever, al- almost hundreds of years before we got here.
1: Yeah, forever. They've been out in this area of Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, yeah, Texas.
0: Well, I think Santa Fe is like the oldest capital in North America. Yeah,
1: it Santa Fe is so cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's, there's so many cool things in Santa Fe. So yeah, I totally wasn't even thinking that direction, but no. duh, obviously. They were out here exploring.
0: Yes. But one thing I think that I want to point out is this place is one of the most remote and difficult places to access in the lower 48.
1: Mm-hmm. In the contiguous United States. The
0: contiguous United States. And the Spanish came through here, but then it took the Americans at least another 75 years to come out here. hmm And. The only reason that people actually came to this really dry and somewhat desolate place was because Brigham Young told them to.
1: Right. The the Mormon Trail brought you to Utah. So the Mormons came over to Utah, and then from there they spread out into smaller settlements. So a lot of the areas around any of the national parks in Utah, really, you've got these small little towns just dotting the area, and most of them are pioneer settlement towns from people coming across America on the Mormon trail. Right. So the whole Zion area eventually became a settlement for the Mormons right down in there. They also did farming and things like that. But all the little villages, I guess, I don't know what you call little towns.
0: Yep, exactly. uh, A lot
1: of them were Mormon settlements. That's
0: what Springdale is. Yeah. Springdale, which is the gateway town outside the south entrance that was original pioneer settlement yeah and they got there in the early 1860s as a result of brigham young telling them please go settle this place and they all tried their hand at cotton farming was kind of what they were asked to do mm-hmm. and then in 1872 is when one of my favorite explorers actually came through the area john, john wesley, wesley powell. powell yes i'm glad we jinx did <laughs> <Stop>. your president and <laughs> <laughs> okay and so he came through the area as part of an expedition this was after he had already mapped areas of the colorado river mm-hmm. further east but what's really interesting is that a lot of these pioneer settlements after that got abandoned because mm-hmm. so many of them
1: well, it's thi- the worst place to live <laughs> <laughs> it's for so- a lot of them it, it was just it's such an unforgiving environment yeah in this area and so if you can't I mean, Springdale obviously is still something, but a lot of the smaller ones around still are like really small and you can tell they didn't thrive.
0: Right. Well, a lot of them got abandoned. I'm just trying to picture, I think this would be really funny. I'm trying to like think back. I'm hoping that there is like a Paiute individual that was talking to one of the early settlers and he's like, I don't think you should put your barn that close to the river. You know, yeah. because oh, yeah. so many of these... That
1: happened in Capitol Reef. Yeah. A lot.
0: Exactly. He's like, we've been here for a lot longer and we kind of know not to do that. Because so many of these early settlements got literally washed away. Yeah. And...
1: The, through the flash floods.
0: Through, yeah, flash they floods. They
1: didn't know about flash floods either. <laughs>
0: yes. Jack Jack came down and just tore up all of these settlements. When we talk about it kind of like in the shorter form it kind of gives the illusion of easy access. We talk about the Native Americans being here, the Spanish explorers and settlers. We give the illusion that this place is easy to access, but it really wasn't. It wasn't until much later that people were actually able to come and visit this place and see it as we see it now Mm -hmm. because the roads were terrible there's no grocery stores or water resources easily available.
1: Water would be a huge deal. I mean, we talk about flash floods and all that water coming through. It's there and gone in an instant. It's not like you're like filling up your reserves or anything. Right. Like water is such a big deal in this area too. And so.
0: Yeah, the water comes through, takes out your farm and then has gone.
1: And then it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's back down to a trickle. Yes. So yeah, it's just a very unforgiving landscape. But the Mormon pioneers were the ones who called Zion Zion. That is a religious word for them. But before that, it was named by the Paiutes.
0: Yep. It was Makuntaweep. Yeah. So. And so the area was named, actually, so later on, people started to recognize how beautiful this place was. And even though it was really hard to live here, there were people that was like, wow, this is so hard to live. I wish I could stay. But. I can't, but it's so beautiful. Actually, one of the first guys that built a settlement inside Zion Canyon itself, his name was Isaac Behunin, and he was one of the first settlers. And he said, a man can worship God among these great cathedrals as well as any man-made church.
1: That's what I have on the Dirt in My Shoes website.
0: Yep, exactly. (laughs) It's so good.
1: I think it's a very true description of what Zion feels like. Yeah. When you get in design, it really does feel like you're standing among these huge rock cathedrals that just point your gaze towards the sky. Yeah. And so it is a sacred place. It's a sacred place for us now, too. Right. Even, you know, people have revered this area for so long thousands and thousands of years and yet it can still be a really sacred, wonderful experience for us today. Right. Even despite the crowds. Right. But I think if you remember why it's called Zion and the meaning behind that word as being a refuge and somewhere that you can worship in whichever way you want to, you know, whatever you believe. But there is a special feeling here being among these giant red rock monoliths that point your gaze upward.
0: Yes, exactly. And people recognized that as they came here, they just couldn't scratch out a living and stay in this area. And I think that the park would have become a national park earlier than it did. But actually, I mean, the state of Utah didn't even become a state until after a lot of national parks were made. It wasn't until 1909 that it became a national monument. And then in 1919, it was officially made a national park. But Stephen Mather had this dream. He was like the first director of the National Park Service. And he had this dream. He was like, oh my gosh, we have all these amazing places. But the problem is so many of them are inaccessible. And that was the problem at Zion. And he had this dream. He's like, okay, we need to be able to connect Bryce Canyon, Grand Canyon to all this other, he called it the grand loop of national parks. But the problem is people were coming here, but there was no way to access the top and the bottom without hours and hours of driving all the way around. Mm. And so the dream was, okay, How can we fix this? How can we make it easy for people to see this place? And so they contract. This was before the CC group even existed, the CC camps. They contracted with some local contractors. One of them started building the road that you take the shuttle up nowadays.
1: The Zion Canyon Scenic Drive.
0: Yep. They built that drive. And then there was a separate company that started building from the east and higher elevation part. And both of them started building this road and they got closer and closer. And the problem is that they had to figure out a way to get people from a top layer to a bottom layer. And you can't have a bridge. And so their solution was a revolutionary idea, the Mount Carmel Tunnel. It was an amazing feat of engineering. So what they figured they were going to do was Once the top group got their road to this certain point, the lower group would have their road to this point, they would somehow connect the two. And they went between the... I think it's all through the Navajo sandstone. And what's so interesting is as you drive through the sandstone tunnel nowadays, you'll drive through it and you have all these gallery windows as you pass through. Those were actually the first things that they blew out of the mountain was those gallery windows. interesting? Because they would blow out these gallery windows and then from there they would connect them and then after they had connected all of these gallery windows together with a smaller tunnel then they would expand the tunnel and it took them 2 years and 10 months to build this amazing tunnel and now suddenly the dream of access the dream of the grand loop was suddenly a reality because you could easily go between national park national park to national park in this area and people could easily see the beauty of the area without So much difficulty and so much danger because the environment is so hazardous. Mm -hmm. And so this was a big deal. It was finally dedicated in 1930. And from that point till today, not that much has actually changed in the park in terms of like the actual major developments.
1: Infrastructure and stuff.
0: The way that we're seeing the park today, I mean, the roads are a little bit newer and probably a little bit nicer, but for the most part, we're seeing the same things. And this is one of those parks where... People have been here for generations, generations of tourists have come to see this, and like I said, this has never been a peopleless place. And actually now it's even hard to imagine it as a peopleless place. But this is one of those few places I think in the country where it brings generations together in a lot of ways. You visited with your parents, your parents visited with their parents, and this kind of thing will continue. And I think it's really fun and you as you visit Zion You'll be on the shuttle or you'll be in lines to get on the shuttle and you'll see, be at the visitor center and you'll be on hikes and you'll hear languages and you'll see tons and tons of different kinds of people from different places all coming here because finally this place is accessible. And well, we were just on a hike the other day with a lady that we went to a different national park with her, but she's like, wow, this place is so rejuvenating. And I told her, I was like, dude, that's the magic of the national parks. Mm-hmm. And nowhere is that more apparent than in the place that's named for it, for a refuge, Zion National Park. I think it's just a magical place where you can find a little bit of more life breathed into you.
1: And an extra dose of adventure.
0: Definitely a lot of adventure because it's such a hazardous place.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. I learned a ton. That was really cool. And I thought I knew a bunch about Zion, but... I would say that I did not know as much as I thought I did. So if you need any help planning your trip to Zion, we've got a ton of resources on Dirt in My Shoes for you. We do have an itinerary that you can use because this park is relatively small and it does just see millions and millions of visitors a year. You're definitely going to want to have a plan for this park. This is one like if I had like my top three parks that I absolutely would not visit without having like a pretty good idea of what you're going to do and where you want to be at what times, Zion is definitely in my top three. It gets really busy. So if you want to have a more magical experience, definitely utilize those resources on Dirt in My Shoes and have a fantastic time in Zion National Park.
0: Thanks for exploring the national parks with us
1: please share, like, and subscribe. And if you need any help planning your own trip, click on over to dirtinmyshoes.com.
0: See you next week, same time, same place.
1: And don't forget to get some dirt in your shoes.